Amen. Well, uh, we're continuing our, our series in the book of Galatians. We're going through this book. We're looking at Paul's argument, <clears throat> excuse me, about the gospel. And uh, this past week, I read a little uh, question, a little uh, a question that's posed by one of uh, the authors that I read. His name is Rankin Wilburn. And so I want to pose it to you this morning as we begin our, as we begin our lesson. <clears throat> he says this, I'm going to give you some names. And you tell me what they all have in common, okay? So here's some names. You tell me what they all have in common. Harry Potter and Frodo Baggins. Jane Eyre and James Bond. Spider-Man, Batman, and Robin. Luke Skywalker and Cinderella. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. Pip, David Copperfield, and Oliver Twist. Mowgli from the Jungle Book. You remember Mowgli from the Jungle Book? And Paddington the Bear. So what, all these, what, what do all these names have in common? Anybody get it? They are all orphans. Except Luke Skywalker. He thinks he's an orphan. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why are there so many orphans in the great stories of the world? Perhaps there's something about us. Perhaps there's something deep in our psyche that feels lost, that feels like we've lost our home, that feels like we have a need to belong. Just like Frodo Baggins, we have a sense that there's some higher purpose to our lives, heroic perhaps, but like Cinderella and Jane Eyre, we wonder if anyone really wants us. Like Paddington and Mowgli, we long to belong, to be embraced, to be welcomed, but like Huck Finn and Oliver Twist, we long to find a home. But like Harry Potter, we feel caught between two worlds, and like Spider-Man, we want to be vulnerable, but like Batman, we have learned to protect ourselves from the dangers of love lost. So there's a deep need in us, and we see it in all the stories of the world. Why are there so many stories about orphans? Is it the case that maybe perhaps there's something deep in us that feels lost, that feels like we're built for a home, for a love that we've lost, and we're searching for an identity. Well, this morning as we look at the book of Galatians, Paul, is, he's been making an argument about the gospel, and he's talking about our status that God gives us in uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so far, Paul has been talking in legal terms, in forensic terms. He's been talking about, I mean, picture a law court here, words like justification and righteousness and covenant. But this morning, the argument turns very personal. And Paul starts to use extremely personal language. And he forgets the, the image of the courthouse, and now he, there's this image of family. Because here what Paul says is he says, look, in the gospel, you are now sons and daughters. You are now sons, this is verse uh, 26. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and of God through faith. So what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, in the gospel, all of us who are orphans have been adopted. In the gospel, every single one of us are sons and daughters of God. I mean, this is a beautiful uh, little uh, statement here that Paul makes. And many theologians, I mean, throughout church history have noticed that this really is not only the central part of Paul's argument in Galatians, this idea that we're sons and daughters is really central to the gospel. And so, for example, J.I. Packer, um, somebody asked him the question, what is a Christian? 
Now think about it. If somebody asked you, what is a Christian, what would you answer? Right? If you could boil it down to one little phrase or something, what does it mean to be a Christian? Here's what J.A. Packer says. He says, the question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who is God as Father. Our understanding of Christianity could not be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of our adoption gives us the deepest insights that the New Testament affords into the greatest, uh, greatness of God's love for us. So here, J.I. Packer says, this is, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is sort of the, the apex. This is the central aspect of what it means of, of your status as a Christian. You are a son or daughter of God. You've been adopted. Now, when, when Paul says we're sons and daughters of God, he's not talking about it in the generic sense. You know, in some sense, all of us are sons and daughters of God by virtue of our creation, right? We're all made in God's image. We're all God's offspring is what Paul says in Acts chapter, uh, I think it's 25 there. We're all in image of God generically. But what Paul's talking about here is in the gospel, you've been brought from sort of a general creation of God into a special adopted child of God. God makes you his in a special way. God brings you into his family, and now you belong to God. So Paul is talking about adoption in a very special way. And whenever I think about this, you know, I don't know about you, but when I think about Christianity, I think about all the things that God has taken off of me. You know, he took away my sins. He took away my guilt. He took away my shame. But I never think about what God has put on me. And the gospel is about both, both what God has taken away, but also what God has given you. And what has he given you? He's given you the status of sons and daughters. You've been adopted. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian, says J.I. Packer. So let's look at it this morning. I mean, what does it mean that we're adopted? What does it mean that we are sons and daughters of, of, of God through Jesus Christ? I mean, it sounds so nice to say, but how does it change us? What does it mean for our lives? Well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the verses we read. I want to show you three things that our adoption gives us. Three privileges that being a son or a daughter bestows upon us, a son or daughter of God. Uh, three things that we get through being children of God the Father. Number one, we get a new identity. Number two, we get a new dignity. And then finally, we get a new family. We're going to look at those three things. And so first, uh, what Paul says here, we're sons and daughters of God. What does this mean? Number one, it's, it means we get a new identity. <clears throat> verse, uh, excuse me, in verse 25. Or in verse 26. For, for in Jesus Christ, you are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We'll stop there. The first thing Paul wants to press home to us about our sonship, of our, the fact that we're children of God, is that we get a new identity. And that's what Paul is talking about here when he says you're sons of God. And then he says, look, you've been baptized into Christ. And he says, you've put on Christ. This is identity language. You know, you think about baptism. Baptism is an identity marker. Baptism tells you who you are. Baptism sort of is an initiation into God's family. Baptism tells you about your new identity. And even in the Greek world, the word, the word baptismo means, uh, basically essentially means soaked. Right, so they would use it uh, in, in terms of like soaking yarn or soaping, soaking fabric. 
And what Paul is saying is you've been baptized into Jesus. You've been immersed in Jesus. You've been soaked in Jesus. Jesus Christ has given you, you've been identified with him. Jesus Christ now is your identity. And Paul even says, now you've put on Christ. And what this means is, you know, you think about clothes that you put on. Don't clothes tell you about your identity, right? If you're wearing skinny pants, 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 skinny pants says you're an artist. You know, a, a, you know, a, a suit says you're maybe a businessman, right? Scrubs say you're a doctor, right? Your clothes tell you about your identity. And what Paul says is you put on Christ. Christ is what you wear now. He's, he's what's closest to your skin. You've been identified with Christ. And what this means is that everything that's true about Jesus' sonship is also true about you. Now picture in your mind the image of Jesus being baptized. Remember he went down into the water, John the Baptist baptized him. He came back up again and a voice came from heaven and what did it say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here's the good news of your identity. The same statement that God gave to Jesus, he now makes to you. Everything that, that is true about Jesus, everything that God thinks about Jesus, he now thinks about you. God looks at you and says, you are my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. You have a new bedrock solid identity in Jesus. Now Paul goes on here, and this new identity relativizes all our other identities, because he says, now that you're a son or a daughter of God, you've been baptized into Christ, you've gotten this new identity of, as child, there is no longer Greek or Jew, slave nor free, male or free, female. What is he saying? These were identities in the ancient world. This is how a person defined themselves in the ancient world. I'm a, I'm a Jew or I'm a Greek. I'm slave or I'm free. I'm male or I'm female. And what Paul is saying is that in the gospel, listen, these distinctions are still there, but they're relativized. And your, your new identity, the new thing that, that controls your identity is that you're now a son or daughter of God. And, you know, think about our identities. Our identities are complex, become complex aren't they? They're like a deck of cards. You know, there, there are many things that you use to tell yourself who you are. But usually there's one sort of controlling thing that you're looking for. You know, your identity, it's, it's the thing that's truest about you. It's the thing that is that stays the same. It's, it's, it's your unchangeable core. And all of us are searching for that unchangeable core. And some of us are looking for it in our jobs. You're looking for your achievement in your career to tell you who you are. Or you look for it in motherhood. You know, I'm a mother and this is who I am. This is the truest thing about me. This is my unchangeable core. Or maybe my social status or my race or my culture, anything like that. Uh, but what Paul says is, look, your new identity is Jesus. And this is good news because all other sources of identity are unstable, aren't they? You know, you put your identity in your job, you can lose your job, can't you? You put your identity in achievement, well, sooner or later, someone's going to pass you up. You put your identity in motherhood or fatherhood, soon the kids are going to grow old and you're going to be an empty nester. And Paul says, look, don't look for your identity in, in being Jewish or being Greek or being a mother or a father or anything else. The one thing that's true about, the truest thing about you, he says, is that now you are a son or daughter of God. And we need that. We need that. Why? Because this is an identity of love. This is an, this is an identity of incredible affirmation. You're a son or a daughter of God. He's adopted you 
and God loves you. We all need, need this sort of identity. I mean, th think about your kids. You know, your kids are always looking for affirmation, aren't they? Um, even when they're old, right? <laughs> your kids are always looking for affirmation. And my son, uh, Jude, he always, he, he'll come up to me and he'll get in my arms and he'll say, Daddy, uh, do you love me? And I'll say, yes, I do. And he says, uh, Daddy, do you love me more than I love you? And I'll say, yes, of course I love you more than you love me. And then he goes around the house saying, Daddy loves me more than I love him. Right, Daddy? And I'll say, yeah. What is he looking for? Identity. And you need this when you go into the world. Otherwise, you're going to be hungry for status or hungry for, you know, approval. You need to go into the world with this rock-solid basis of identity that you are a son or a daughter of God. And this is why I love the worship song that says, I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And you need to hear that. You need to hear the affirmation. This is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And you shouldn't seek it any, this is the truest thing about you. And this is what Paul is trying to drive home to us. Now, he's going to go on and he's going to tell us the second thing that this uh, being a son or a daughter means. Number one, it means a new identity. You don't have to look for your identity anywhere else. The truest thing about you, it doesn't matter who you are, you're a child of God. He loves you. You've been adopted. What's the second thing? Number, number two, it gives us a, a new dignity or a new equality. Notice Paul goes on and he says, you're sons of God through faith. And then he says in verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, uh, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, this Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, they're not just identities, but they're also statuses in the ancient world. This is what Paul is doing. He's thinking about the main uh, areas where people look to for status and equality or even inferiority. And there were those distinctions in the ancient world, just like there are in our world, that where we have statuses in society. And in the ancient world, it was Jew or Greek. If you were a Jew, you were in. If you were a Greek, you were out. Or, a, a, you know, a slave or a free. Obviously, if you were a free person, you know, you had your, your uh, dignity and your freedom. You could do whatever you want, but a slave is less than a human. And then male or female, and it's not so much like this in the modern world, but in the ancient world, if you were a male, you had all the privilege. You had all the rights. You had all the dignity. And women were second-class citizens. It was a patriarchal society where there were male and female. In fact, a Jew would wake up every morning and Paul, who was a Jew, a Pharisee, would probably have prayed this exact prayer. They'd wake up every morning and they would pray a prayer. The Jew would say, dear Lord, the Jewish male would say, dear Lord, thank you that I'm not a Greek or a, or, or a Gentile, a slave or a woman. Thank you, God, I'm not a, a Gentile, a slave or a woman. Saying, look, thank you for my privileged status. Thank you that I'm not low and inferior. inferior. But what Paul says is, in Christ, there are no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. What's he talking about? He's saying your sonship gives you equality. Your sonship gives you dignity. In the church, it's not like the way it is in the world. In the world, there is status. And there are those who have inferior inferior. Uh, uh, stations in, in the culture, but in Christ, in the church, Paul, uh, Paul says Christ raises us up 
and we're all given equal dignity. There are no gradations in God's grace. Every single one of us is a son or a daughter. And I think about my kids. Listen, here's one thing that's true probably of every parent in the room, at least I hope. Every single one of us we love our children equally. All of our kids are different, aren't they? I mean, some of them are crazy, you know, and wild and artistic, and some of them are straight-laced and obedient all the time. And some of them like sports, and they're really good at them, and some of them like video games, you know? And some of them, you know, are, are good-looking, and some of them maybe, every, every kid is good-looking to their mama, right? But we know that some of them are probably not quite as good-looking as the other one, but as a parent. Stan. I heard you laugh. As a parent, you love them equally. As a parent, there are no gradations in son or daughtership. You love them. They're your own heart, and you care about each one of them, and none of them is, uh, is out or lower. There, or there's equality in the family. And what Paul is saying is you're a son and a do- or a daughter. And what that means is that there is equality. You are not inferior. You are not less human. You don't belong less than anybody else here. You need to hear that. You are a son. You are a daughter by virtue of what Jesus Christ did for you and by your faith that you've put in him. There's equality in the church, and this is really, really good news. There is dignity in the church. Now, you think about the church in the ancient world, and you, and you saw, I mean, this made the church revolutionary, right? As the church went into the Roman world, it was revolutionary in this fact that it brought equality. And there's one story in the New Testament of a slave named Onesimus. Onesimus, uh, the whole uh, book of Philemon is written about Onesimus. Onesimus is a runaway slave, and he ran uh, to where Paul was at, and he was converted by Paul's preaching. And so Paul finds out he's a slave, and so he writes his master, the book of Philemon. And he tells the master, let your slave Onesimus back. Let him back, he's run away, I've found him. Let him back and don't punish him too much. And then Paul says, and I want you to accept him as a brother. Revolutionary, subversive in the ancient world. Accept your slave as a brother. And then about a half a century later, there's a record in church history of the bishop of of Ephesus. And his name was Onesimus. What do you have here? You have a slave in the culture who's become a leader in the church. There's equality. You are not inferior. You are equal. There is equal, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is flat is what Paul is saying here. And notice here, Paul, and maybe you've been offended by this, all the way through Paul has been saying you are a son of God. There's no daughter here. It's all you are son of God, you are son of God, you have equal rights of sonship is what he says. And some of you are probably like, well, what about the daughters here? What about the ladies? Well, don't, and many of us want to correct Paul's language and change it to sons and daughters, but don't be too quick to do that. Why? It's because in the ancient world, an heir literally meant, or a son literally meant you were an heir. A son meant that you had everything that the father had. Inheritance was never left to a female, to a daughter. What is Paul saying here? In Christ, we are all sons. We are all heirs. We all have rights, and there is no distinction. There are no male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free. There is equality in Jesus. 
And so that's the second thing Paul talks about here. Number one, your sonship gives you a new identity. Second of all, your sonship gives you a new equality. But finally, what does Paul say? He says your sonship gives you, and your daughtership, if you want to say it that way, gives you a new family. Because he says there are no, there's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Notice he says, and this is kind of the main point that he's making here, is that in Christ Jesus, we are all one. Right, in the world, there are these distinctions. Right, there are social classes and, and uh, economic divisions and race divisions and, 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 and nationality divisions. But, in, but in, in Christ, he says, you're all one family. You are all one in everything that divided you outside the church is relativized and now you come into church and you're made one. And so here's the power of the gospel is that people who outside of the church could never get along are now inside of the church living together as family. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female are now brothers and sisters. Uh, Being in the South here, uh, one of my favorite things is that people call me Brother Brent. Anybody call me Brother Brent here? Brother Brent. I know if you call me Brother Brent, you're probably Baptist. <laughs> Old Baptist. But I love it. <laughs> I love Brother Brent. Because it's not just me who's Brother Brent, you know. It's, it's Brother Stan and Brother Randall and Sister Marnie and Sister Anita, right? You, you know, we're all brothers and sisters. We're, we're all one in Christ Jesus, the truest thing about us, what's, what's at our unchangeable core, what unites us deeper than blood and deeper than race and deeper than nationality is the fact that we are family in Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of a worldwide multi-ethnic family in Jesus. And we're united at the deepest level. We are one. And so uh, you can go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, we are one. Can we do that? And then we can say, we are awesome. Can we say that? (laughs) Yes, we can. That's right. We are awesome. We are sons and daughters of God. We are God's family. And it doesn't matter whether you are a Republican or a Democrat. And it doesn't matter if you are rich or poor. And it doesn't matter if you are Southern or Northern or Northeastern or Southeastern or from stinking California, crazy people. We are united at the deepest fundamental level. We are sons and daughters of God. It brings unity in the body of Christ. There is no slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile in the church. Uh, One of my uh, favorite teachers is uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a Welsh minister, and he was a doctor, a really, really good doctor. He won awards, and and at one point in his life, in his 30s, he uh, was called into the ministry. And so uh, Dr. Uh, Lloyd-Jones goes to seminary, and then uh, his first church is a small little Welsh uh, congregation in a fisher village, fishing village. And uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, at one point, he said that in this little village, he developed friendships, you know, in the church. And he said, I remember visiting a woman, this old woman who was just dirt poor. He called her a fisher woman. He said, we had nothing in common, nothing. Everything about us is different. I was male, she was female. I was high, you know, doctor, educated, she was uneducated. Nothing in common. But he says, as we sat there and as we talked about Christ, 
He said, I had more bond and more in common with this woman than I did with my colleagues in the hospital. Why? It's because there's a unity. There is no poor or rich. There is no, you know, doctor and, you know, these distinctions are still there. Obviously, there are distinctions about us. And yet, at the deepest level, we can be united because there's one thing that's the truest thing about us, that we're sons and daughters of God. And so there, there's a unity that comes from the gospel. There's, there's this Christ that brings us together and unites us. And what Paul is saying here is that in Jesus, we all belong. You remember the beginning. All, there, why are there so many stories about orphans? Why are there so many stories? You know, Harry Potter and Frodo Baggins and Spider-Man and Batman. Why? Where do these things come from? It's because we, all of us feel like we don't have a home. All of us feel like we don't belong. And what, Christ, what Paul is saying is that in Christ Jesus, you are now brought in. You now belong. The truest thing about you, your new identity, is that you are adopted, beloved child of God. Listen to that. Listen to that. Let me just read a statement here, and you can just let it wash over you. Uh, this is from a, a guy named Jared Ayers. He's another one of my favorite authors. He says, you are not what you have done or what you haven't done in your life. You do not need to live at the whim of a boss's approval or a lover's approval. Your life is not defined at the deepest level by the ugliness and shame that lives in your personal history. You are not at the end of the day merely the contents of your relational status or merely, merely the letters after your name or nothing more than your political, t whatever your political tilt is or where your sexual tilt is. You are not defined by what you have accomplished or failed to accomplish in the past. You are not defined by whatever uncertainty lies in the future. The truest thing about you is that you are a beloved child of God. Listen to that. J.I. Packer says this is the height, this is the apex. This is the greatest promise of the gospel. This is your status, and it changes everything. You know, the Bible never tells you to do anything, the Bible never tells you to give to the poor. The Bible never tells you to love your neighbor. The Bible never tells you to share your faith. Have I got your attention? The Bible never tells you to do anything before it tells you who you are. Because everything flows out of who you are. Your sonship is the wellspring of your life. Well, somebody says, well, how do I become a son or a daughter? How, does, how do I get this? I want this. How do I get it? Well, there's something that Jesus does to give it to you, and there's something that you need to do. What does Jesus do? Well, what God did at the right time, Paul says, is he sent his son into the world, his beloved son, and he sacrificed his beloved son so that on the cross, when Jesus was paying for your sins, what did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is crying the cry of an orphan. Jesus Christ became an orphan so that God, through his death, could purchase your adoption. So in the gospel, God does something. He sends his son to pay the price for, for, for you to come in. He's done everything. It is finished. And what do you need to do? 
Paul says it here. He says, we are all sons and daughters through faith. What is that? Faith is the hand that reaches out to grab God's gift. What do you need to do to become a child of God? You need to receive it. And so if you're here, and let's say you've never done that, you've never just said, look, I believe and I receive and I want what God has to give me. Here's, here's a day where you can, you can believe. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. You could do it in, in your seat today. You can ask God to, to accept you, to bring you in. By faith, faith is receiving the gift. And if you're a Christian, you need to continue to receive the gift. Because all of us have the tendency to, to define ourselves by our careers, or our relational status and everything else, and none of those things are stable. None of those things are big enough for who God's made you to be. And you need to tell yourself every day, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this uh, beautiful high watermark of the New Testament. This idea that uh, through Jesus Christ, uh, all of us who were orphans and estranged and alienated from you because of our sin have been brought in. God, we thank you for the free offer of not only forgiveness and not only of taking away guilt, but, by, but putting on us this wonderful declaration of beloved son or daughter. And Father, I know that there are people in this room here today who need to hear that who need to receive again their adoption as sons and daughters. God, I pray that you would remind us of who we are and that everything we do this week would flow out of that wonderful, profound, stable sense of identity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.